0: We're going to continue our series in James, and our series in James is just called The Walk. It's about the practical walk of your faith, and I told you last week when we met at our house that I had a friend in college named Johnny Fiore, coolest guy I've ever met, and um, just everything about him was cool, but he had this walk, and it was, it was kind of, he just kind of, I don't even, I can't even do it, and I say I look dumb doing it, but it looked cool, and it was so distinguishable that you could tell it was him from 100 yards away. He had a very distinguished looking walk, it separated him from other people. And the Christian walk should be like that for us. Not in the way we move our feet, but in the way we flex our faith and what we do with our lives and how we follow Jesus together. Our Christian walk looks different than the way in everyone else walks. And that doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. It just means we're different. And as we go through the, through the book of James, James is teaching us how to walk, how to walk out our Christian faith. And in this first chapter, what we talked about last week, and what we're going to continue with this week, is trials. He's going to teach us how to walk in trials. Anybody got some trials going on? Amen. So last week, when we, when we opened James, and we looked at, One of the first verses said trials of many kinds, or various kinds of trials. And I told you about that movie, Sharknado, right? (laughs) Sharknado was an awful movie. Uh, It was a very awful movie. It was so bad that they kept making them. But there was more than one trial in the movie. They had both tornadoes and shark attacks, so it was like Jaws and Twister combined. And it was so ridiculous that I told you last week they made two of them. But uh, it turns out that they've made like five of them. There's like five, there's Sharknado one, two, three, four, and five. And I think that's appropriate because not only do you get two twisters and Sharknados or whatever you call it, but you get multiple times of walking through seasons of life where there's just various trials of many kinds. And James wants to teach us how do we walk in the midst of that reality? Life's not only a battle, but the battle is always there, right? And so today, uh, and John is going to come up. and
1: We're going to read through James, verses one through eighteen. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you you experience various tr- trials, because you know that testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing now if any of you lack lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith without doubting For the doubter is like a surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, a being double-minded and unstable in all all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flowers, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shuttles. By his own choice, he gave up birth by the word of truth so that we would be kind of first fruits of his creatures.
0: We, uh, we lost half of a tree during the hurricane. and. Praise God, it didn't fall on our house, but it was massive, so big that it came and blocked the entire street. You can see it there on the left. And uh, what ended up happening was people would be walking or driving, and they would turn our street, onto our street, and they would see the tree and go, I can't go through that. And so then they would either walk, or when our cars weren't there, they would drive through our circle driveway to go around it. And, And I find... First of all, that was interesting because we got to know our neighbors a little bit better. But then secondly, that's really a lot of our attitudes when we see a roadblock, an obstacle, a trial. We can't go through that. We have gotta find a way around that. We gotta find some, there's something, God open a door so I don't have to walk through this hard thing, take me around it or, or back up a little bit, let me, let me do something new. So often we have to go through the trial. God wants us to walk through of various trials, and that's actually the way that he shapes us. And so James says something incredible. He says, consider it pure joy. Now, first of all, that sounds crazy. It sounds crazy because that word consider means make a judgment. Decide in your mind that it is joy to walk through a trial. Now, that's none of our natural responses, but thankfully James tells us why we are to make that judgment that it's joy to walk through trials. James tells us, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces spiritual endurance, or someone called staying power. I'm in. This isn't going to knock me over. This isn't going to make me go backwards. I'm not going to go around it. By God's grace, I'm going through it. And as I go through it, the joy comes from knowing That it's not pointless, but God is actually using it to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Whatever you're going through right now, it's that that trial that you're in right now. I know we all want a different set of trials than the ones we're in. But the ones that you're in right now, those are the ones that God is using to build perseverance and spiritual endurance to make you more like his son, Jesus He's exposing spiritual deficiencies in your life. He's creating longing in you for righteousness. He's changing. you. And so often you and I want to change out of our trials. We want a different set of trials. We want a different set of experiences because we often feel like trials change our trajectory. God, I was headed in the right direction until that trial came in my life, and now I'm headed over this way. And because my trajectory has changed, I'm missing out on life as it should be, God. Don't you see what you did? You messed up my life. You messed it up. But from God's perspective, he says, no, 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 child. You actually were lacking before. But now I am building Christ in you. I am making you mature and complete so that you're lacking nothing. See, it's not life that you missed out on. It's that you are being shaped into the life of Jesus Christ through your trials. And see, God is more interested in us learning how to endure when it's painful than he is in us experiencing pleasure. God is more interested in us persevering than us being comfortable. Because when it's uncomfortable, it usually means God is working and he's taking things out and he's putting things in, he's taking things out that don't need to be there, and he's putting things in that do need to be there, namely the life of Christ in you. Yesterday, one of my children was whimpering. And I hope you're not grossed out by this, I'm not going to be too graphic. But there was this white puff coming out of her nose, and it was it was stuffing. See, so she had found her stuffed animal, and since the animal was full of stuffing, she thought, well, I'm going to stuff myself full of stuffing. <laughs> And so we had to lay her down, my wife and I, and one of us held her, and the other person started pulling the stuffing out of the nose, and there was <laughs> layer after layer. I don't know how she got it all up there. <laughs> and there was five different layers of stuffing in her nose. And, you know, she trusted me. I said, it's going to be okay. Just don't, don't move quickly here. Trust me. And she did. She laid there. And a little tear went down her eye because, you know, it's sensitive when someone messes with your nose. But she knew that I was trying to take something out that did not need to be there. In the same way, when God walks us through trials, it is incredibly uncomfortable. But he is trying to take out things that do not need to be there. And so when you're walking through trials, it's not pointless. There's a purpose to make you more like Jesus Christ. And if you believe that that is happening and hold on to it by faith, you'll find joy. Not because you like the trial. My child did not like laying on the bed, but she did it because she knew that we were doing something to help her in that moment. Now, it's hard for us to believe that we're that bad, that we would need trials in order to change it. It's like, God, can't you do it another way? Well, first of all, have you ever seen someone try to change something deep in them without going through a season of hardship? That's when it all comes out. That's when God gets to that layer where we don't want him to go. But then secondly, regardless if we're that bad or not, or not, the process is a process of him making us more like Christ. And I know that I am not like Christ. I've got a long way to go. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this person of Jesus study, is when you sit in that study, you'll begin to sit there and go, oh my goodness, I'm not like Jesus. The way he loves, the way he shows compassion The way he says the right thing at the right time to comfort someone or challenge someone. I'm not like him. And I want to be like him. And when you get that vision of what he's like, you begin to see, you know what? It's actually worth it. I mean, I don't don't want to go through trials, but the end result is worth it because I get to be like Jesus. God is shaping me to love like him. And we need wisdom to walk through those trials. We need wisdom because there are all sorts of trials that we face. But in each one of them, God is making us like Jesus Christ. When you are betrayed, you learn to forgive like Jesus because Jesus was betrayed and forgive, forgave. When you go through sickness and death and hardship and just the brokenness of the world, you learn to hope like Jesus because Jesus was full of hope in the midst of a broken world. When Satan attacks you, You learn to fight with faith in the midst of that trial, because Jesus fought with faith when Satan attacked him. Look, in the situation in our country right now, it is incredibly unstable. And yet Jesus walked through an incredibly unstable political situation, where there were revolts, and there were leaders who said stupid, hurtful things and there was divided politics and all sorts of things and yet in those trials Jesus still walked forward and God is teaching you how to walk through similar situations in our country when there's division leaders say stupid insensitive hurtful things and it feels like the country is about to fall apart it's not pointless in your life god is using it and he's shaping you to be more like the son God does give wisdom in trials, both so that you can walk through the trial and and that you can know what he's teaching you in the trial. In verse five, it says that he gives generously, generously. That means single-mindedly, uncalculating without measure. God does not look at how you have handled wisdom in the past or how much sin you have in your life currently and decide how much wisdom to give you based on that. He just gives. He just says, here is a person who is asking me for my wisdom. I'm going to lavish it on them. It doesn't matter how foolish they've been. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner they are. I am going to give generously, single-mindedly, without measure. But not only that, it says he gives ungrudgingly. How many of you, when you're asked to give something to someone else? you begin to sort of weigh it out. Well, this person is asking me for a ride and it's late at night and they didn't do that for me last time, so I've got to organize my sock tour tonight or something like that. But God gives wisdom ungrudgingly. In another translation, it says, without finding fault. He doesn't weigh it out. He doesn't look at how you've used the wisdom the last time. He gives ungrudgingly. And the amazing thing is that he gives generously, and ungrudgingly his wisdom to all. It says to all. There's no special class of Christians who have more access to God's wisdom in their trials than you do. God gives generously. He gives ungrudgingly to everyone who knows his son, Jesus Christ. So, in your trial, you want wisdom. Have you asked him? Have you asked him for wisdom in the midst of your trial? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God wants to lavish you with wisdom. It doesn't mean the pain will go away. It doesn't mean the trial will go away. It means that he will give you what you need to walk through that trial with his presence and his grace, honoring his name. And this is the kind of wisdom he gives. In James 3.17, a couple chapters later, it says this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. We'll go through that in a few weeks. But I I want that. I want that gracious gift of that kind of mercy in my life. Because the Lord knows I need, need it, and my wife knows I need it, too. In verse 6 through 8, it says, listen, here's what you do. As you ask for that wisdom, walk in faith once you've asked. Proceed in faith once you've asked for wisdom from God in your trial. Let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging seed, driven and tossed by the wind. See, the tendency for us is to get all excited, and then we ask God, And when he answers us, but it doesn't look like we think it should, we begin to doubt. Okay? We begin to doubt and we go, okay, God, you're being stingy. You're not giving me what I need because it doesn't match what I think I should get from you. Or or we go back to that place of saying, but I messed up again with the wisdom he did give me. I messed up, so I'm going to stop asking. I'm going to start doubting. I'm going to stop believing or we start comparing ourselves to others. There are so many people who walk through trials better than we do and we begin to compare ourselves to those other people and that causes us to doubt. But when you begin to doubt, don't feed your doubts, feed your faith with the character of God. He single-mindedly gives. So don't double-mindedly doubt. Soak yourself in his character. He is the God who gives generously. He gives ungrudgingly. And he gives to all without finding fault. Don't feed your doubts. Feed your faith on the character of God who he is. Our our sending church in St. Louis put it this way. The doubts come. But when those doubts come, don't run with them. Humble yourself before the Lord. And they said this, humbling involves quieting. It involves turning away from the noise of unbelief and pride and sense of injustice because God's first message to you is to be still. So when you've asked God to give you wisdom to get through the trial and to begin to doubt, quiet your heart and go back and sit before him. And And remind yourself generously, ungrudgingly to all, proceed in faith because the reality is you're going to need a lot of wisdom because there are a lot of trials in this world and james next talks about the trials of money now we all know that not having money is definitely a trial you can say amen Amen. what the vcs call right (laughs) but what's interesting is james helps us get a broader perspective he says look when you're going through the trials of not having money There's something that you have to remind yourself that you do have, even though your bank account's low. It's your status in Jesus Christ. And there's something about not having the world's goods that helps you hold on to God's spiritual goods and gives you perspective to see. Can you go to the next slide on verse? uh, Yeah, there we go, verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Well, what exaltation is that? It's the status that you have as a child of God. As royalty, as a son or daughter of the king, that is your status. And it does not matter if you go bankrupt, no one can take that away from you. Because God has given you that status through Jesus Christ. So even if you're out of money, the way to work through that trial with faith is to have a posture that you are still God's child. And you are still a son or daughter of the king. And you are still richly loved. In fact, James will go out and say things like, the poor of the earth have been chosen to be rich. in faith. And there's something that you actually have in a trial when you're poor that someone who is wealthy doesn't necessarily naturally have. You have clear eyes to see your status in Christ because you have nothing else. But then what's interesting is that James doesn't just say that poverty is a trial. He says that riches are a trial as well. Now some of you are going, I'll take those trials, I'll make a straight trade. But James says that wealth can be a trial, Let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. The temptation when you're rich is to always look at your wealth and your stuff for your status and begin to trust in those things. Paul writes to Timothy and and says, look, tell the rich to be generous, man, because their money is fleeting and fading. It can be gone like that, and your heart will trust in it so quickly if you don't keep giving it away so that you have to rely on Jesus alone. And the trial, really for the wealthy person, is not to trust in their wealth, but to continually push their hearts back towards trusting in God and seeing Jesus. Fifteen years ago, I was at a a church, and I was at a men's prayer breakfast, and I sat down with this man who I would later get to know much, much, uh, much, much better. But we were sharing prayer requests, and this man was, uh, he had some money. Um, He had some money, he owned some properties, and he could kind of do whatever he wanted. And all of us were praying for each other, and it came to him, and we said, what can we pray for you for? And he said, please just pray that Jesus would be my only treasure. Please pray for me that Jesus would be my only treasure because it's, it's so tempting for me to make everything else that God has put in my, in my plate my treasure. And see, that's a trial. That is hard. It is hard to not trust in your goods, in your wealth, in your money, but instead trust in Christ. And for those of you that have money right now, you would to remember this. Look, one day you're gone, and your money's gone. One day you'll die. You can't take your money with you, and your money doesn't get you anywhere with God. Your money doesn't get you anywhere with God. So train your heart to trust in the midst of that wealth. Proverbs 38 through 9 says this, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal profaning the name of God. There are trials everywhere around money, and that is one of the reasons why we're hosting that class. I'm excited for that because I believe that that will actually help train us to manage our finances God's way as a class is entitled. But it's not just money. There are trials everywhere. And the reality is, as you're walking through these trials of many kind, these Sharknadoes all over the place, uh, you are going to have motivation at times. And you are going to lose motivation at times. At times you're not going to want to get out of bed. At times you're going to feel like, man, I'm flying. So how do you keep motivation to keep walking through trials with faith in a godly way as you follow Jesus? How do you do that? Well, James tells us in verse 12. He says, by looking at the finish line. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those Who love him. Um, Too often in life, when we walk through trials, we don't look to the finish line. We just look to the next lap. And we expect things to even out in the next lap. God, this is a really hard week, so I know that next week you're going to use it to bless me in a way that makes this week make total sense. And God never promises that. God promises that it will all make sense when you get to the finish line. And so we have to keep our eyes on that finish line. It doesn't mean that God's not going to bless you. It doesn't mean that God's not going to put things in your path that you enjoy. But you'll get into a trap if you think that lap three around the track through the trials is going to make lap two make sense. I mean, think about this. When people run in track races and they have ten laps to go, they don't stop at lap three and go, man, lap three was really hard. So I hope on lap four, someone provides me a lawn chair and a mind tie. No, they're never looking at lap four or lap five. They've got their mind on the finish line. Their mind is on the finish line. And that honestly gives you incredible boldness because you're not looking for it to work out the next week or the next lap. You know it will all make sense when you see Jesus face to face. Romans 8 says... Romans eight eighteen 18 and 21 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of the children of God. Longing for the finish line, the Christian hope is not necessarily that next week will make this week make sense, but that the end of eternity or eternity will make our entire lives make sense. And in God's way, we'll be able to look at our lives and we'll say the sufferings that I suffered and the trials that I went through as I followed Jesus were not comparable to the joy unspeakable that I'm experiencing in the renewed heavens and the renewed earth and in the new city. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we call our church New City is because we're constantly looking to Revelation 21 and the finish line and reminding ourselves All things one day will be made new. All the brokenness will be fixed. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's what I want. That's the finish line I'm looking forward to. And so now as you go around the track, don't wander off. Because you will be tempted. Someone said every trial has a temptation. And the truth is every trial has many temptations. has many temptations. Something happens in our hearts when we go through trials and we start to say things like, if God is going to put me through this, then I deserve, if God is going to put me through this, then I've got to get through it my way, not God's way. If God is going to put me through this, I can't get through it unless I allow myself this little pleasure. The temptations are always to get out or to take the edge off or to get through God's trials in our own way, or to blame God. That's always going to be there. But what James is pushing us to is to walk through the trials in our life in God's way. Trust and obey. It's a kid's song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Verse 13 through 15, James reminds us of these temptations that come in trials, and uses this language that reminds us of the Garden of Eden and reminds us when Adam and Eve were drawn uh, by Satan to the the fruit and to engage the fruit and to touch the fruit and then to eat the fruit and then all of a sudden things had drastically changed. Sin and death entered the world. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And then in verse 15, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's desire drew them away and drew them into sin and drew them into separation from God. And because God was righteous, he could not overlook their sin, Because God was just, he had to hold them accountable for what they'd done. And that ultimately brought their separation from God. Relationally, they were kicked out of the garden. They were separated from his presence. Death entered the world. And we experience those same consequences. If we die separated from God, we spend eternity away from him. And what James is trying to point us to is stay on Track when those temptations come remember the Garden of Eden remember what happened to Adam and Eve walk with God in the midst of trials don't try and take the edge off by walking through God's trials in your own ways don't get into your addiction don't give into that person don't let your tongue go don't let your heart go walk through the trials focused on God because there's so many things that in the midst of trials feel good feel like a release but will kill us will kill our relationship with God trials are hard enough while we obey God don't make it any harder by walking through a trial disobeying trials are hard enough while obeying God but James says look in the midst of these trials you're walking through stay on track with God. And the way that you stay on track with God is you remember that God is good all the time. And all the time. God is good. But he doesn't just say that. He unpacks it for us. And what he tells us is that God that is with you in the trial is the same God that sent Jesus to die for your sins. In verse 16 through 18, he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And what James is telling us in all those words is your tendency in the midst of trials is to think that God has changed. You see see God through the eyes of your circumstances rather than seeing your circumstances through the eyes of God. God has abandoned me. God has left me. God is doing something new and I'm not included. But James says, no, God has not changed. He is the same God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Because God did not leave us in judgment. By his great love for us, he sent his son Jesus into the world second person of the Trinity, the God-man, to go to the cross on our behalf. He was put on the cross and punished in our place and put in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave so that you could be reconciled to God, so that you could be restored to relationship with him, so that you could be forgiven and live in a pure relationship of peace and harmony with a righteous and just God. Amen. Is the same God that's walking through you, through your trial with you. He has not changed. By his own choice, he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And therefore, if he sent his son to die on the cross for you while you were still a sinner, don't you think he loves you now? Don't you think his intentions for you remain good? Don't you think he wants His best for you, even if it doesn't feel good, He loves you. His intentions for you are good. His posture towards you is grace. If you know Jesus Christ, you are in a relationship of peace with Him. God is not out to get you if you know Jesus. Rather, God is out to make you in the image of His Son. And as you embrace that, that will empower you to walk through trials, not perfectly, not without struggles, but in the community of this church with the power of the gospel and the God who gave us Jesus Christ. Let's pray for wisdom right now. Lord Jesus, we we do thank you so much for coming. We do thank you so much that by looking at the cross, we can remind ourselves that God's posture towards us is love. We thank you and we ask for wisdom. I ask for wisdom for each person here that's facing various trials this morning. And we pray that as we feel weak and as we feel powerless, that you would remind us that that doesn't matter because you are a generous God who loves to empower your people with wisdom. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, might you draw their heart to Jesus? Right? Might you draw their heart to the cross? And see the great love of God in Christ. And all God's people said, let's stand and sing together.